0: Please remain standing for the reading of the sermon text. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is God's word.
1: Amen. You can be seated. If you haven't already, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 is a very interesting passage. It was coming at the end of our uh, second Um, installation of the book of Acts so we've ended part two after today and we'll pick up part three in the fall Um, so for the rest of the summer we're going to be doing something a little bit different Um, but Acts chapter 12 is actually really interesting and Miss Jenny if you already had this question if you notice the language of of uh peter not having his sandals on and not being ready to be delivered i mean it it harkens back to uh passover and when the people of israel were were commanded to have their sandals on and to be ready to leave the uh uh, slavery and to be delivered by the lord and it, it tells us here that peter was not expecting deliverance in the way that the people of israel were expecting it from the lord so there are so many interesting things here there are a lot of catholics who actually believe that where it says that Peter left this place and we're not told where he went, that it's Peter left this place and he went to Rome and he started uh, leading as the first pope of the church. So Catholics use this passage in, in that way. It's a it's a really interesting passage. Um, but it actually, even though it's very historically rooted, the historian Josephus, he confirms so much of what Luke says here about... Um, King Herod we have so much history about this era so we know a lot about King Herod I'm going to tell you a little bit about him later but there's it's it's historically rooted it's it's a very interesting passage there there are a number of allusions here we're not going to cover a lot of that stuff um, but this this chapter Acts chapter 12 actually has a very important word for people living in a really difficult season like like us Um, I want to start like this though a few months ago Um, I was in my office, and um, it may have been half a year ago, but I was in my office, and I was sitting there, and I realized... I am working in a room that has a copier that's constantly going off and there are supply shelves and this is just not the best place to study and so you know I decided I, I need to revamp this office and so we, we made some adjustments and we, we created an actual administrative office which, which made a lot of sense and then you know my office was now bare and so I had to, to get some new furniture and so we were picking out the furniture and there were a couple of you and you will remain unnamed don't worry not going to put you on blast but a couple of you Suggested that I get um, some office plants, whatever whatever that is, but a couple plants, a couple plants for my office. And I just immediately was like, Why? Why do it's like because it's just it's life. I mean, it's just they're, they're pretty, they look good. I'm like, I'm probably not gonna look at them. No, you need it, you just need it, you need it. And so I took the suggestion, was never gonna go buy a couple plants, but lo and behold, um, I walked in my office one day and There were some plants, a couple plants just sitting in the window, and um, I I warned this person. I was like, um, even though, yes, maybe the plants will make this place exactly what I want it to be, a warmer place to study, a simpler place to study, Um, if those plants depend on me to take care of them, I promise you they're going to die. Like they, they're just—they're going to die. My study, or really any place that I spend significant amount of time, is not a safe place for a plant. All right, it's going to die, and you know actually. And this is how bad I am. I can't even remember if the dead plant, because it did, it died. Um, spoiler, um, the plant, one of the plants at least died. Um, I can't remember if it's still sitting in the window or not. That's how often I look at the plants in my office. Um, so uh, if you enjoy passing by my office and looking at plants and you want to put something in there, just know you're going to have to water it for me, all right? So I'm not, I'm not going to take care of it. My study is a very hostile environment for a plant, and plants will not grow in my study and in this environment and i'm so thankful that this passage shows us that the kingdom of god is very different than plants in my study the gospel of jesus is different the word of god is different it's unique it thrives in hostile environments what we see here is that there are no circumstances, there are no situations, there are no conditions that are bad enough to prevent the kingdom of God from growing and spreading. Absolutely nothing can stop the relentless advance of the word of the Lord. Onward, the gospel marches. There are no enemies, there are no opponents, there are no tyrants. There are no competing ideologies, no amounts of failures on the part of God's people that can stop the growth of God's kingdom in this world. When Jesus came to earth, he planted the kingdom of God, and it will relentlessly grow until the end of this age. In the beginning of Acts chapter 12, as Erica read, Herod tries to put an end to the church by killing its leaders, and he tries to stomp out the gospel movement. By the end of Acts chapter 12, in one chapter, Herod is dead, and the word of the Lord is as alive as it ever was, multiplying and spreading. The word of the Lord, the gospel message by its very nature, increases and multiplies because it is the Lord's word. It is his gospel, and he is the one that gives growth. He is the one that multiplies it The fact that we just opened Our reading this morning With hear the word of the Lord And the fact that I am able To stand here this morning And preach the good news of Jesus today Is evidence of Herod's failure God's power And his people's faithfulness And what we're going to see here Is that there is nothing that can stop The word of the Lord from growing and multiplying Not even us We can't stop it. And it's important for us to announce this truth this morning because we just don't believe it. We don't believe that something so good could grow and spread and multiply in hostile environments, in something so bad. We believe that the gospel will spread best and that the church will grow best and most when everything is going right. It's just just intuitive. We limit gospel growth to easy and comfortable conditions because it's in the easy and comfortable conditions that our emotions tend to match what God is doing in and through us. When life is going right for us, we usually feel strong and hopeful and happy And so then when we hear that the gospel is supposed to spread through us, we get fired up and we're like, yes. But when everything is going wrong, when our world is turned upside down and there's pain and suffering and anguish, and there's disappointment, and there's betrayal, and there's confusion, we just can't believe that the Lord would multiply his word through us. That's the question this morning. What about when everything goes wrong? What about when the circumstances or conditions of our lives seem to oppose the very work of the gospel in our lives? What about when the life of our heart tells a different story than the unstoppable gospel? What about when we feel helpless, hopeless, and angry because of the conditions or circumstances of our world? How can we remain confident that Acts 12, 24 remains true today? That in the face of persecution, in the face of suffering, in the face of King Herod's, and all kinds of hardships, the word of the Lord continues to grow and multiply. Well, I want to offer three ways, so so we can remain confident that the Lord will keep growing and multiplying his word in and through us, even when life goes wrong, even when enemies seem to thrive, and even when we suffer hardships in three ways. First, by meeting hardships, by meeting suffering, by meeting hardships with the surprising power of prayer. Second, by meeting hardships with confidence in the mysterious sovereignty of God. And and third, by meeting hardships with rest, contentment, and the certain justice of God. So we're looking at three things here that will help us remain confident that the word of the Lord, regardless of our circumstances, will continue to multiply through us, and it's the power of prayer, the sovereignty of God, and finally, the justice of God. So so first, I want to encourage you to meet your hardships with the surprising power of prayer. So let's look at the first few verses here. Um, we read in verse 1, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now when we last left the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 9, do you remember what we read? Okay, so this is, like, Luke is a masterful storyteller. L- listen to what we last read about the church in Jerusalem. Luke tells us the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And then the next time we hear about the church in this area, we read this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. So what we see here is that for a short time, the church in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions experienced peace and comfort. After the conversion of Saul, remember Saul was was violently persecuting the church, but after his conversion, things died down for a bit. And then it's as if Luke says, enter King Herod. Herod the king that Luke introduces us to here is Herod Agrippa the first, historically, you can write that down and look him up later. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. And and he grew up in Roman royalty. His friend group was a real who's who in Roman politics. He was a classmate of the emperor of Rome, Claudius. It was like he went to school with Claudius. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like, just going to school with the, em- the future emperor, you know? I mean, this was, this was Agrippa, though. He was, he was in these spheres of influence. And Agrippa, he was given the titles of Herod and king, and he was given authority over the Jews in Judea and the surrounding regions. And eventually, his little kingdom became just as large as his grandfathers did. And Herod Agrippa, the first, wielded real power. This is not just some Jews that are upset about the Christians and what they're teaching. This is not just even the the Apostle Paul, you know, Saul at the time, you know, going around and being like, this is terrible, I can't believe they're doing this, sign me up to putting an end to this movement. This is on a different level. This is King Herod. King Herod Agrippa had real power and he was a people pleaser. In in all honesty, uh, Agrippa, he really didn't care too much about the Christians one way or another. They didn't bother him, whatever, you know, they, they didn't mean anything to him. Herod Agrippa was obsessed with himself. He was obsessed with pleasing other people, but it was for the purpose of them praising him. He wanted to do whatever everybody under his reign wanted him to do so that they would praise him because he loved to be praised and he knew that the Jews, his subjects hated the Jesus movement he knew that they were threatened by it and he knew that they had tried to put an end to it and so Herod, he leverages this situation and he decided to oppose the church because it was in his political self interest to do so so what does he do? It tells us so quickly. Herod executes James. Now, this is not James who, who ends up writing. This is not the half-brother of Jesus. This is James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, um, uh, Luke tells us here. James, uh, the language here, tells us that he was likely beheaded. And what we also learn is that as quickly as James was beheaded, Peter was arrested. So immediately, within, within just a couple verses, in the blink of an eye, two of the church's most prominent leaders are under Roman authority. One of them is dead, and one of them is in prison. And Herod just had a slight problem, because he did want to please the Jews so much. He arrested Peter, but he could not immediately execute Peter, because he did it during Passover. And so he had to wait... He had to wait. The Jews did not want anyone to be put on trial. They didn't want anyone to be put to death during Passover. So Peter's in prison, but he's not in prison just to serve a sentence. He is in prison until Passover is over. And at the first opportunity, Peter will be executed. So what we see here is that Herod is learning from the mistakes of the Jews. Herod placed four squads, or 16 soldiers... To guard Peter because he he learned when the Jews had put Peter and John in, in prison they, they were able to escape and Herod Agrippa says that's not happening here this is this is Rome you know the, this this is how the Romans do it and and he is not going to get out it was as Calvin said Peter was as it were shut up in his grave so that it might seem that he was quite past hope. He was past hope. There is no chance. Uh, typically, what they would do when they would put someone in prison is they would chain them to one of the guards. So a guard that would be keeping watch would be chained to whoever was in jail. Here's what they did with Peter. They put him between two soldiers, and so he was like chained with both of his hands to each of these soldiers. He, the point is he was not going to get out on his own, no chance. The Romans were experts at dealing with criminals. And so Herod, he's executing a better plan for eliminating the church. He takes what the Jews wanted, and he puts Roman skill to it. So the Jews, they were attempting to stop the movement too, but they were doing it by arresting ordinary Christians. They were doing it by killing Stephen, who was a Christian, and who, who was eager, and who was a servant, a deacon. But, I mean, Stephen's no, he's not Peter. And so Herod looks at the situation and says, no, 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 this is not how you end a movement. We know how to end movements. You kill the leaders. You cut the head off the snake. You don't kill Stevens, you kill Jameses, you kill Peters. And then we see that despite the feelings that they should have had, weakness, helplessness, powerlessness, the church responded to Herod's acts of power with power plays of their own. They prayed. We learn a couple things here. First, we learn that the church faced persecution, which means that we should not be surprised by opposition and suffering. Uh, The point here, in that James was killed just like that, James, an, an apostle of the Lord, killed just like that, Peter's in prison, and he later will also be martyred. The point is that even apostles suffer and die on account of the gospel. Even apostles Luke, he describes the execution of James so swiftly. And that's, that's how it must have felt in the church. Before they could turn around, before they could blink, before they could think, one of their leaders, one of the apostles was now dead. And in the same breath, their most prominent leader in Jerusalem is locked up and awaiting his own death. And what can the church possibly do? Because by and large, Even among the apostles, the early Christians had little to no political influence. Okay, there was no one to call. There were no favors to cash in. They couldn't bring James back from the dead, and they couldn't release Peter from prison. They were effectively helpless to change their miserable conditions. And as we see, what the the Christians did is they went into hiding in their house churches, all together in one place. Have you ever felt this way? people and powers they may rise against us and life will go wrong is life going wrong for you right now hardships will come are you facing hardships maybe you're like the early church and and you're in a position of helplessness maybe you feel powerless today and you might be facing circumstances that are completely beyond your control and you are subject to the whims of others we need to see here that persecution and opposition is a normal experience of God's people. But the second thing we learn here is that the church responded with prayer, which means that prayer is the normal response of God's people to hardship. That's the normal response. If your inclination when things start to go wrong is to pray, you're not corny. You're Christian. You're not, you're not corny when things go bad and you're like, we need to pray. That's not, that's not corny. That's what Christians do. It is the normal Christian response to a hard circumstance. And we see that they prayed in two ways. They prayed first earnestly for Peter. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but I love the contrast there, right? So Herod has wielded his power. He has arrested the great apostle Peter and thrown him in jail, and he's going to execute him the next day. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That was their response. That was their power play, to call on the Lord who is, who is the one who rescues and who delivers and who saves. They prayed earnestly for Peter, but, but we also see that they prayed corporately. I absolutely love this, that when Peter is released from prison and he's in the street, he knows exactly where to go. He knows exactly where to go, and he knew that there would be people there waiting for him. He goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, and she evidently hosted a house church there. And so the church had gathered there. It's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night, and these Christians are awake, and they're gathered together for the purpose of prayer. They're praying for Peter even in that moment. So they're not just praying individually. They're getting together, and they're praying on behalf of one another. And third, we learn that these prayers are powerful. So the church responded in prayer, but if prayer means nothing, then who cares? But we know that prayer is powerful. God answered the prayers of his people. And he likely gave them far more than they dreamed was even possible. Because if you notice, they are completely shocked when they see Peter. So they may not have even been praying for his release. They may have just counted that and just said, well, I mean... There's no way he's going to be released. So let's just pray for strength. Let's pray for endurance to persevere. Let's pray that Peter's heart would be comforted, that he would stand firm, that he would have an opportunity to share the gospel. And then they see him standing at the door. And the Lord answered their prayers. He may have even answered prayers that they should have been praying. But prayer is powerful. And prayer is powerful for three very simple reasons. We've been watching the the prince of Egypt with the boys. Um, and reading through uh, the account in Exodus and it's always so beautiful to me when it says that the Lord begins to respond to deliver his people because he heard their cries Your, your prayers for deliverance have reached my ears and I have heard your prayers God hears our prayers when you pray to God it is not an empty ritual you are talking to a person God hears you when you pray, He listens to you when you pray. That's one reason why it's powerful. Another reason is that God responds to our, our prayers. How amazing is that? Have you ever thought about it? It's one thing for God to hear our prayers. Maybe it's just a, a way to comfort ourselves. We know that God hears our prayers and He says, They're there. They're there. there, there. I'm, I'm with you. Now we have evidence that God responds to the requests for the supplications, for the prayers of his people. He responds to us. He answers our prayers. And as I said, sometimes he answers the prayers that we should have been praying. He gives us far more than we could have ever hoped or dreamed. One more reason prayer is powerful, it's powerful because our prayers depend on God's grace and not our faith. When Peter is in prison, we're going to talk about him in just a second, he doesn't have his shoes on. Because he's not expecting release he's expecting to die when the church is praying for peter they are shocked when they see him they were not expecting release and then when peter is walking down the street it takes him a minute to even realize that it's real okay peter thinks that every single thing that's happening around him is a dream He feels, I mean, have you ever had dreams like that? You know, where it's like, man, this seems really real. Or something happens in your life and it feels so surreal. It's like you're, is this really happening right now? Or am I just having one of those really vivid dreams? I mean, Peter had received visions from the Lord. And that's what it felt like to him. He didn't think he was actually being released from prison by an angel. He didn't believe. If Peter's release depended on his faith, he would still be in prison. The the church, in the way that they prayed, they were shocked they saw Peter. Which means that they didn't believe. When they saw Peter, Rhoda, the servant girl, she goes and she sees Peter at the door. It's hilarious to me. He's banging on the door, you know, Peter. I mean, he's, he's running from prison. He can't just be out in the street for very long. So he's banging on the door, and then Rhoda comes and she answers. She's like, Peter! And then just turns and runs, you know? And he's just stuck standing at the door like, hello, let me in. And so she goes back and she tells the, the people who were praying in that moment for Peter, Peter is here. And they don't believe her. They're like, you, you have been drinking a little too much. Something's going. What's wrong with this girl? What is wrong with this girl? She is crazy. There's no way Peter's out there. It's like, there's no way. You're, just, you're praying for that to happen. If, it, if, if God's response to our prayers depended on our faith, he would never respond to us because our faith is always weak. But prayer is powerful because his answers to our prayers depends on his grace and his power." not our faith. When life goes wrong, when circumstances are tough, and it seems like we've reached the end of God's activity in our lives and in our church, there's an answer here. There's a response. Start praying. It's not empty. It's not cliche. It's not corny. It is power. In our weakness, we call on the God of strength, and he responds, according to his grace and according to his will. Our church will keep marching on to the beat of our prayers. Difficult circumstances nor human opposition are a match for the prayers of God's people. The earnest prayers of the church make up the soil for gospel growth in and through us. The ordinary corporate prayers of the church is ground zero for revival and for renewal. And one way, I want to encourage you, one way this is actually happening every single week in the life of our church is on Wednesday mornings. Every single Wednesday morning, there's a group of guys from the church that meet at Lost and Found Coffee Shop. And all they do is get there. I don't, actually, I don't know what they do in the first, like, 15 minutes because I'm usually late. I'm so sorry. I have to admit that. I'll throw myself on the table here. So maybe, maybe they're even doing, like, more dramatic things. I don't know. But by the time I get there, we're just kind of chatting it up. And we systematically pray for our church. We pray for the church's leaders. We pray for our deacons we pray for our members we pray for our worship services we pray for areas of service we pray for things that we want to see happen in and through our church we dream and we pray that the lord would use us in significant ways and it happens week after week after week after week and if you happen to be in there and you see us praying it looks so ordinary we're laughing we're chatting we're talking we are calling on the sovereign lord of heaven and earth to move and it is ground zero for renewal it is ground zero for revival in our church and in our lives and in our city. I want to encourage you, if you, if you have time, it's, it's mainly for, for guys. I mean, at this point, I mean, if ladies, if you showed up to pray, I don't know. That we, I ain't going to turn you away. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe we'd have an issue there. But if you showed up to pray, I'm not going to be like, sorry, female, no praying here. Um, you know, but uh, or ladies, if you guys wanted a time to get together, we don't, we don't talk about things that are specific to men in, in that group. But if you are a man and and you have time on Wednesday mornings, 7 a.m., show up, pray with us. that doesn't work for you, guess what? You can schedule a different time because I'm sure there are other people that are like, that time doesn't work. Um, But the word of the Lord multiplies and grows through us, not accidentally. We can face and meet hardships of all kinds, but not haphazardly, through prayer. If we want to be the types of Christians who remain confident that the Lord will keep working in us in the midst of suffering and hard times, we must boldly meet them in the power of prayer. So we meet hardships with the surprising power of prayer. Second, we meet hardships with confidence in God's sovereignty. And this, this is just where it gets cool. So when life goes wrong, how are we prone to feel? As we said, we're prone to feel helpless. But we are also prone to feel hopeless. Especially when our troubles are completely outside of our control. I mean, when you get fired from your job, what what are you going to do to change that? You know, someone who has more authority than you comes to you and they say, hey, we're making cuts and your job is not going to exist next year, I'm sorry. What are you going to do? You know, I mean, you can't. You're 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 helpless. You're this is outside of your control. There are there are things that happen. There are there are um, you, you'll go to the doctor and there'll be a diagnosis like you have cancer. What do you, I mean, you can't. You, that is outside of your control. It it is something that happens to you, and when that happens, it can lead to hopelessness. When people rise against us in any setting or in any way, when people betray us or we have that shocking feeling that we're actually not as in control of our lives as we thought, what do we do? And How can we remain confident that God will still work in us and through us? We have to remember the one who is in control. So here's what we see here. God rescued Peter. And it's really simple, but Peter himself didn't even realize this until later. So let's look at the passage, verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison, Luke gives us all these details to show us there's no way Peter can get out. And behold, Luke says, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell he struck peter on the side and woke him saying get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands so just like you do with your kids you walk in there and you just like hit him my dad sometimes would smack me on the back of the head get up get up go to school get up an angel of the lord comes to peter and he's sleeping and and he strikes him it doesn't say he touches his shoulder gently it says he strikes him to wake him up and he's like hey get up it's time to go Alright, so, so the angel tells him Dress yourself and put on your sandals and, and he did so And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me And he went out and followed him And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real But thought he was seeing a vision When he passed the first and the second guard They came to the iron gate Because f- first of all, they're just walking past these guards Are they asleep? Are they in a trance? We're not sure. But he walks right past them. This is very ordinary and extraordinary at the same time. It opened for them of its own accord. So the gate just, it just opens. And they walk out into the city streets. And then when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. All right, so, so God... Rescued Peter. It seemed as if Herod had full control of Peter's life, but God was the one who was calling the shots. By his grace and his grace alone, God chose to save Peter. He sent an angel to release Peter from prison, and Peter, if you notice from reading that, he's completely passive the whole time. He's just responding He's not coming up with plans he's not coming up with ideas he's the the angel says all right do this next do this next do this and peter's just following the steps because it's the lord who is rescuing him he is the one who is working and what we see here is that god wields infinitely more power than herod Herod had made all these clever plans. He strategically made it humanly impossible for Peter to escape death, and yet that very night, Peter is set free and he's walking the streets because God himself intervened because God is the one who is really in control. He is the one who is really sovereign. God wields infinitely more power than whatever it is that you are facing. He is the one who's calling the shots. He is the one who's in control when everything feels out of control. So so how should we respond when we're in situations that are beyond our control, knowing that God is this sovereign? We trust. We have confidence and we rest. What was Peter doing when the angel came to him? He was fast asleep. Knowing that maybe the next day he's going to be beheaded just like James. and and he's not sitting up fretting, worrying he's not sitting up thinking now, okay, I'm chained here is there a way I could maybe do some moves and get, get these guys he's fast asleep how can someone sleep in a situation like that? they can because he's trusting that the Lord is in control and he knows best and whether death or deliverance comes tomorrow, I'm good Because I'm in the Lord's hands. And whatever I meet tomorrow has to funnel first through His hands. So I'm good. If it's death, it's death. If it's deliverance, it's deliverance. This is a man who is confident in God's sovereignty. We can meet whatever hardships come as individuals and as a church without falling apart because we can be confident in God's sovereignty. We can be confident because His sovereignty depends on God being God. As long as God is God, He is sovereign. He is eternal. He is creator. He is in charge. This is His show. And we can be confident because God's sovereignty does not rest on our faith in it. He is sovereign whether you like it or not. He is sovereign whether you believe in it or not. He is sovereign whether your faith is strong right now or your faith is weak right now. God is still in control even when you doubt him, even when you're angry with him, and even when you are stubborn and faithless. He will have his way and no one can get in his way. Not Herod, not Peter, and not you. So when life goes wrong and you you feel like you're on the verge of, of hopelessness, remember that God really is in control. Again, this isn't a platitude. This isn't a cliche. It's gospel truth. God is sovereign over whatever you're facing and he will not stop working in and through you. So we can meet hardships with confidence in this God. And one more thing we can do. We can meet hardships with rest in God's justice. So I understand that sometimes in life when it goes wrong and we suffer, sometimes it's at the hands of other people and sometimes those people get away with it. And, and we experience injustice. When we were on sabbatical in South Florida, we, we went to what became our favorite ice cream shop. And across the street from the ice cream shop, there was this massive billboard. And on that billboard, there was just this, this young man. I mean, he had to be 18, 19 years old. And it was just a, a picture of his face just smiling on this billboard. I mean, it was Massive. And there was a reward, a massive reward for any information leading to the conviction of his murderer. He was he was murdered on the beach, like you know, sometime last year. And whoever did that got away with it. They they escaped. And so this family, this grieving family, I mean we could we could feel their grief and their anger and their frustration and their their longing for justice in their hearts that that isn't existing. And sometimes the world goes that way. The ones who are evil and cause pain and suffering in your life, sometimes they win. Sometimes they win, and sometimes they escape justice, and sometimes, sometimes you're not going to receive that satisfaction. And Luke knew that his readers might be feeling that way about King Herod. Oh, okay, so it's great that Peter escaped. That's wonderful. But Herod, Herod just gets to kill James and arrest Peter and persecute the church just because he wants people to like him more and he gets away with it? I love that Luke decided to share the way that Herod's life ended. And it gives me hope that all that is wrong with the world will one day be set right, no matter how dark things seem now. We see two things here. Judgment awaits God's enemies. So jump to verse 20. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. I'm not going to give you the backstory here. We don't have time. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man! And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. This is ultimately exactly what King Herod wanted. He wanted this more than anything in the world. He knew in his own mind that he was like a God. He had that kind of power. He had that kind of authority. People have to come to him and hope that he's in a good mood so that their country will receive the food that it needs. And so they come and he gives this speech and they praise him the voice of a god, and now he's in his element, and he's loving it, and he doesn't rebuke them. Even pagans, even pagans were uncomfortable with people being called gods. They they were uncomfortable with this, not Herod. Herod was eating it up. He loved it, and then what do we see here? Immediately, the same angel of the Lord that struck Peter to rescue him strikes down King Herod. And there he dies as he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. Judgment awaits God's enemies. In the end, God's enemies lose. John Piper, he offered this warning once that I've never forgotten. It's really simple. He said, if you oppose Jesus, you lose. If you oppose Jesus in the end, you lose. It's comforting sometimes to know that while at times it seems the world is spiraling into madness and chaos, there is actually order beneath the surface. God's glory will not ultimately be mocked, and those who seem to thrive through evil deeds will one day be undone. There's judgment awaiting God's enemies, but there's also justice awaiting God's people. We're so prone to anger when it seems that the world wins, and sometimes we get to see People like Herod face judgment in real time, and it's nice. It's nice to see it happen. But more often, those who do us wrong get away with it. So how do we deal with that? We have to remember that one day, God will set all things right. His justice will win in the end. His righteousness will reign and fill the earth. And I hope you see this. Herod breathed his last, the very next verse says but the word of God increased and multiplied this pattern holds for us when you face hardships of all kinds rest your heart in the justice of God in the end he will wipe away every tear in the end he will toss all evil things all sin all suffering in a lake of fire in the end he wins Rest your heart in his justice. He is making all things new. And in the meantime, even when you meet injustice, the gospel will keep changing you and keep moving through you. So don't lose heart. Life is hard right now. But we're going to be okay. You need to hear that today. We're going to be okay. Not because you or I or anyone else is going to finally figure things out but because God is powerful and we pray to him, because he is sovereign, and because he is just. Our God is in the heavens. His throne is never unoccupied. His court always renders a just verdict. One overarching lesson we learned from Acts 12 is that the church's weakness is actually her strength. The church's weakness is actually her greatest strength. If you feel weak right now, if you feel like our church is weak right now, Don't allow that to cause you to give up because it is through the church's weakness that God's strength and glory shine brightest. In Acts 12, the church was at its weakest point. One of the most powerful men in the land set his hands to do violence against the church. James was dead, Peter was in prison, and the church was in hiding. But what happened? What can we do? Through their earnest and corporate prayers, Through the sovereignty and justice of God, the gospel kept spreading, the church kept growing, and the kingdom kept increasing. God is at work. He is at work in us, and his word will multiply through us, even in hostile conditions. question is, will you dare to believe that? Will you commit to pray? Will you sleep well at night, even when you have every reason to be kept up? Will you release your anger and rely on God's justice? He wins. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he has invited us to enjoy and partake in the victory.